0: Welcome to the Cowie Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about Cowie, including in our gathering times, visit us online at cowie.church. Enjoy the message. Oh, beautiful worship to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the one who is worthy of all of our praise. And we are uh, so expectant today as we gather in worship to glorify uh, his name. If you're a guest with us or you are connected uh, maybe online this morning, we're so grateful that you are. Uh, are here. Uh, we'd love to connect with you along the way and uh, just know of ways that we might be able to serve you. And, and uh, if you're a guest, you can take a moment. You'll see some connect cards in the back of uh, some of the seats uh, around, and you can fill one of those out and just drop it off uh, with our host team as you leave. And they have a gift for you uh, that will encourage you in your walk uh, with Christ. Again, so grateful that you're here. My name's Jason, and uh, again, uh, just excited to worship our great God. Last week, we started on a journey in First Timothy chapter 6, and we're going to get to work uh, pretty quick this morning and try to finish uh, that journey. We're going to be in First Timothy 6, verse 17 uh, to 19. We're going to break those down and, and uh, really just lean in there. And last week, we, uh, we, we were challenged by the first part of First Timothy 6 with this, uh, this reality that uh, this, this, uh, this charge and this warning uh, to those who would desire the riches of this life, that, that, that we're the, the main goal, like we're the heart of our lives, right? To warn those who are pursuing, right? Those kind of things and, and that kind of motive and, and, and really this, this danger that we can find ourselves in. We talked about contentment and uh, the truth about contentment is this, that if, uh, if you are not content with what you have, you will not be content with what you get. And this real heart that just says that our riches and our, our glory and all that we need is found in Christ alone. And that he is worthy of all praise. And today, uh, we're going to look at not only this thought of contentment, but at, at this reality that, that we are called to be uh, a people who live a generous life in the midst of this broken World, and uh, you know, on my way to church this morning, I found out my aunt has been uh, sick for a season and weary. And on my way to church this morning, my dad, uh, who's here this morning, called me, and and uh, we'd found out that she passed away during the, the night. And immediately, you know, my heart uh, stirred to to memories and just places of joy. And you know, when I was growing up, I really didn't know that they didn't have that much. I don't know if you ever been around people like that, and you really didn't know that they didn't have very much until later, maybe when you've gotten a little older and you understand things a little better, and you because they never seemed to be lacking anything, right? And they were they were some of the people that, uh, in so many ways, taught me about generosity. And when I was a young uh, a young lad, I don't know exactly how old I was at this time, but uh, but they had gotten a new car, right? And I don't remember if it was like brand spanking new, like you know, or if maybe it was a used car that was new to them, but it was this blue Ford Festiva. And if you know anything about a Ford Festiva, you know, it's like as big as my shoe, right? It's a small, it's a small car, right? And, and so I'd been doing a little working out and uh, y'all might not be able to tell, but I, I was doing some working out back then. And, and in that moment, right, I, my cousin and I, my cousin Matt now, we had this, this great idea, and so we decided that because we were strong and this car was small, that we probably could pick it up and move it. <laughs> Seemed like a great idea in the moment, right? And so, uh, and so what we did, we decided to get on each side of the car at the back uh, fender well, and we just kind of backed into this car, and we got a hold right there, and we squatted down, and, and I just knew this was going to turn out great, and I squatted down and I lifted, and when I lifted, I just want you to understand that, that I put a perfect butt-sized print <laughs> um, dent in the side of this brand new car, right? It looked, yeah, you know exactly what it looked like, right? There it was, right? And, and, and this is a bad moment if you're, you know, young and, and you've done this. And, and I honestly thought like, this is probably going to be my last day on earth, right? I just, (laughs) like, I probably should prepare to meet Jesus because this is bad. I'm thinking I'm going to be in the most trouble and, um, you know, we, we, we confessed to, uh, my, my aunt, Mary and and my uncle Johnny. And and I learned something that day about generosity. Um, I was scared to death that, you know, my my dad would be pretty upset and rightfully so. And so until I was like, you know, probably in my thirties or forties, he had no idea about that moment. And they were generous in grace. They were, they were People that said, you know, it didn't really matter about this car. And, and, you know, I've gone through my life and I've learned that there's something beautiful about people who are generous in grace. People who are generous in mercy. People who are generous with things where the things of this world are not the main thing. And when we're generous, we understand as believers that our life is ordered around the joy of being used by God to make a difference for his glory. And we're going to look at... First Timothy six today and I want to invite you to stand uh, with me as we read God's word and we'll begin in verse 17 to 19 and and I want to just give you this thought that that poverty is not the answer to the materialism and the the craziness that we kind of live in and the, the the temptation that we can fall into to pursue the American dream and to try to get our our mind fixed on the things of this world really generosity is this great weapon that God has given us in the midst of that. And we're going to see some instructions today uh, that Paul is going to give Timothy, and he's going to give him this charge to instruct some people uh, who are rich in this present world. Now, we hear that, and we're like, man, this is probably for somebody else. So we'll talk about that uh, a little more as we go. But beginning in verse 17, the Scripture says this, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Will you pray with me? Father, we're grateful. Lord, we're grateful for your grace, for your mercy. God, we're thankful for... Your great love, Lord, that King Jesus, who was rich, became poor. God, so that we who are poor and in desperate need could become rich. And God, we pray this morning, God, that you would help us fix our eyes on your glory. God, that we might be transformed by your grace, Lord, that you might allow us, God, to God to just be be reminded of your great love for us, Father. We pray if there's anyone here that's been trusting in the things of this world to bring joy and satisfaction, Lord. If we've been fixing our hope on this present world, God, we pray, Lord, that our attention and our minds, Lord, could turn in such a way in repentance to you, Lord, that our eyes could be fixed on you, and that, Lord, you would do a work in us that would be a result only of your grace god we love you and we thank you in jesus name amen you may be seated now when we read those words right instruct those who are rich i want to kind of just confess at the beginning he didn't say i instruct those who feel rich because probably very few of us would be willing to say hey you know what uh, we, we feel rich and, and we understand like last week we said that comparison is the enemy of contentment and in so many ways it is because we uh, you know we get on social media and we see all the things people have we we have this constant look at, at others and we always think about being rich and it's it, here's the thing it's kind of this moving target so you get you get your first job and you get your first paycheck and you go from being poor to being rich and then the more you get like like all those things change right and we, we always it's always for us right and for if, if we're honest it always seems like it's just a little More and and so this comparison it can be dangerous, but it can also, in some ways, when it's a reality of comparison, it can humble us. It can remind us. You know, I I think about those that we serve in Honduras, and uh, Carla was was here uh, just a few weeks back with us, and she came and ate at my home. And then there's this little sense, and when when she comes there, that I understand the places that she ministers that have so very little, right? The schools and the kids that she teaches, and and you know this this reality of of our lives, I mean, we, we have a lot of things, right? We have homes. There's some of you uh, that are so rich in this room, and I'm, I'm gonna call you out right here, so just be prepared, right? So you're so rich, some of you, that you have rooms in your house that are used for nothing. Extra rooms in your house. We're, we're so rich that like, not only did we have like a home to live in, but we had like a covered area that we put our car. We just kind of like pull in. And we've got so many cars that they all won't fit in the covered area. I know. I know. And then like this week, I'm I'm praying about this message and just to be like, I just want to kind of let you lean in a little bit to some of the things around our house. And so all of a sudden we had this, this feral cat like show up at our house and a little, little little cat kind of running around, and my, my son is like, he loves cats, and my wife is very compassionate and loving, and, uh, you know, is concerned about this, this little cat, and it's this feral cat, we can't really get around it, and a few weeks back, it was supposed to be really cold weather. And uh, it was really cold weather. And so Sherry had had seen this little cat and she was trying to figure out what to do. And so she ordered uh, this thing online. And I was thinking about okay, we've got a house and then we've got some, you know, places that are maybe not used as well. And then we've got, you know, this place our car pulls in. And then all of a sudden I'm reminded like we just ordered. I see this thing come in and I know, right? And I I mean, I'd already talked like I'm very, you know, I won't say I love cats, but we have a cat that I love, and and but I'm compassionate. Like we want the cat to be warm, and so I'd already kind of worked out that thing. It kind of got delayed in shipping, and so I'm thinking hopefully maybe I can you know uh, not have this thing forever. But but we even have a, a, a house for our, our cat. And if you look at the next picture, this thing we haven't assembled this or anything, but I'm looking at this. I'm like this is like this is like a premium house for a cat right here. That's what. Uh, We have, that's how rich we are, right? And, And when we look at these kind of things. I mean, we have to just own up that, that we, we are blessed with so much. Now my, my concern wasn't as much for this feral cat is at the thought that this, this feral cat might be a fertile cat. And we're going to have like all these kittens, right? I'm, I'm just being honest. Like I'm nervous about those kind of things. And, and sometimes we can get in this place where we're, where where we don't remember just all that God has given us. And, And the reality is the problem is not with having things. It is when the things have us, we see people in scripture, uh, who, who God is blessed with wealth. And, and, and the problem is, is when we either make it the the, the the aim of our life or that is the pursuit that we have or, or when this, this desire or when the riches that we have or the desire for that begins to be in a place where God should be in our life. And my hope is that as we look Uh, at these scriptures today, that we'll see our our lives differently, that we'll see ourselves correctly and to recognize that compared to this world, right? That when we look at our lives, that we have been blessed and God has blessed us, that we might live differently than this world and that our witness might declare that he alone is worthy of all of our praise, that he is more valuable than any of the things that we have, that he is more valuable uh, than anything that, that we might possess. And so when we think about those things, this foundational truth, from last week. If you're filling in blanks on the, uh, on the sermon notes in the app or in the, the handouts that you got today, the first three blanks, I'm going to give them to you. It's the word all. And here's the thing. God owns it all. He has blessed us with all that we possess and we are to manage all for his glory. Now, when we read the scriptures, Jesus talked about money more than, than most anything, right? We, we would see this. And we would understand that, that like this is something that can get a hold of our hearts. It's something that we can have in misplaced priority, something that's been given to us as a gift to be used for his glory, can, can find itself in a way that would derail us from, from the purposes that he would have in our life. Hayden Robinson said this, For every verse in the Bible that tells us the benefits of wealth, there are 10 that tell us the danger of wealth, right? We, we've been reading in the, the shared reading plan. And if you're uh, new with us, we'd love for you to just kind of jump in where we're at. We're in the book of Acts right now. We'll be going uh, all this year. You can find those uh, resources at Cowie.church. You'll see those on the main page. And then also you can always find those on the disciple page. So we'd love for you to journey uh, in there together uh, with us. And, and in Mark 10, Jesus would say words that would just kind of like, especially when all of a sudden you're like, hey, you know what? Those verses about rich people, those aren't just talking to somebody else. That's when it gets kind of serious, right? And Jesus would say things like this. He would say things like, "It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man stand to go to enter into the kingdom of God." That's pretty heavy, but thanks be to God. He would say later in that same passage that with God, and some of us need to just be reminded of that this morning. With God, all things are possible, All right, There's a guy, his name's Joby Martin. He wrote a book called, If the Tomb is Empty, and the kind of the premise beside the book says, if the tomb is empty, then anything is possible, right? And I'm so encouraged uh, by that. Jesus knew them that this, this wealth and this pursuit of wealth, all those things that they could grip our hearts. And, and the danger is that we could trust in our money and, and this misplaced priority could remove our focus from beholding the glory of God and, 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 and result in our eyes being drawn from him and, and from being transformed day by day to look more like him through his grace. And As we think about what God has created us for, Isaiah 43, 7 would remind us that we have been created for his glory, that he has created us for that. And and apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ in our fallen condition... Here's the truth. We seek anything other than God to fulfill that need. We try uh, through the things that that God has created uh, to find satisfaction. We try to find satisfaction in our position, in our possessions. Romans 1 gives us this this reality of the pursuit that we have. And we begin to worship the, the creature rather than the creator. One pastor puts it this way. He says this, he created the world so that he would be magnified in the way his creatures find their greatest satisfaction in him. See, this is a call that we would find our greatest joy, that we would find our greatest satisfaction in him. He goes on to say money, sex, and power exist to ultimately show that God is to be desired more than money, sex, and power. And that is paradoxically how they become the most satisfying things in them And so we've got to understand that it is only in Christ that we can find joy. It is only in a a proper perspective with the gifts that God has given us that we can worship our creator, that we can find our ultimate satisfaction in him. And so if you're following along, uh, we want to trust God in his provision. If we look in 1 Timothy 6, we saw this last week, verse 17, he says, He richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. God has provided us with all things. And, and isn't it crazy? Sometimes people think, like, I used to think, like, hey, the, the answer to this is not poverty, right? The, the scripture says that he has provided us all things to enjoy. And God is not a cosmic killjoy that says, hey, you can't have anything, but he don't want anything else to have you. Right? And he says, hey, you can enjoy these things. We, we enjoy the, the world that we live in. You know, last week I talked about money being a hygiene factor, and it is. It's like brushing your teeth. You've got to have it. We have to have it to, to be sustained in all the things in our culture. But here's the reality, right? It's not where we're going to find happiness. And if we get our hope fixed on riches, if that becomes the thing, we will lose everything, right? We will miss the glory of God in our lives. Jeremiah 2 verse 13, he says, my people, they've committed two evils. He said, they've forsaken me, the fountain of living water. It is in Christ that we find joy and that we find life. And he says, my people, they've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hear for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Maybe you're here. And you recognize that like all the things that you've been pursuing, all the places that you've been trying to find joy and happiness, all the things that you've been running after, that like all the celebrities that we see in the news and all the people that, that we might see pursue that, that we find that those things, that they come up empty. And so if you're following along in the notes, I, I, the next one is like we plugged the holes, right? And it was meant to be this, this thought of like, we wanna we want to understand that like this money that comes in when I was young uh, and I got my first check. From the big D gas station. Uh, man, I was making like $4 an hour. And for the first time in my life, when I got that check, I felt rich. I had like $100. I didn't have any bills. I didn't have anything. I was, I was rich. I could do it. I mean, I could buy things. But the more that I made, and the more that what I understood is, is that without things in proper perspective, that the more I would take in, the more it would pour out, right? And the more that it would just be gone. And you've experienced that, right? We got to plug the holes. We got to get a plan. Because remember, God owns it all, and he's called us to be managers, to be stewards of all that he's given us. So we want to understand, right, that we need to do that. And so if we're going to do that, we got to bust the mist, right? That's your next point. The mist, right? We want to bust the myth and the myth is and this is what I always thought the myth is when I had that four dollars an hour man I was rich until all of a sudden I wasn't and then I thought man if I have a little more (laughs) just a little more man I'm gonna be happy if I have a little more I mean if I have a, a house not only for my car but a house for my cat if I got I mean it's gonna be like everything And what we understand is that mentality, it always comes up short. We got to bust that myth. We understand it is not true. Now, here's the deal Uh, we see in scripture, we should be able to look at the scriptures and know that. King Solomon, right? The richest man in all the scriptures, right? His annual income. And then they paid in pounds, like back then, right? Like this guy's wealthy. My understanding is that like his annual income, and we would see this in 1 Kings 10, his annual income was about 50,000 pounds, which if you convert that today per year, this dude is making just under a billion dollars a year. Now, he shouldn't be thinking if I get a little more. I'm going to be happy. And what he understood, and when we read Ecclesiastes, the first words that we would read uh, from him in, in Ecclesiastes chapter one, verse two, is that it's all vanity, that it's meaningless, that, that it has this, like, like this is the reality and it goes downhill from there. The psalmist though in Psalm 1611 says this, you will make known to me the path of life in your presence. Well, I hope we can hear this this morning. In your presence is fullness of joy, In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. See, the path of life is not found in our possessions, but in his presence. We can enjoy the provisions that God has given us. We can enjoy those things, but we've got to be careful. The rich people in this world, we've got to be so very careful. Careful that, that that we must guard against greed and the danger in trying to find joy in the things that God gives us, rather than in the giver of all things. He alone has to be worthy of everything. Right? The Westminster Puritans they would say it like this: the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Our joy, our ultimate joy, must be found in in our Creator, in a right relationship with the King of Kings and. Lord Lord of Lords. He's given us all things to enjoy, but our ultimate joy can only be found in. Him. We're to glorify Him. He richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. We must begin to manage those things. We must steward those things, but we must understand the things that He has given us. Money, like if you're filling in those blanks, right? Money is a tool. I could have put it's a gift, right? But it is a tool. I wanted you to understand this thing is just something that we have. It is a tool to enjoy. We can enjoy the, the gifts of having things. It is okay. We understand that. But it is also a tool to be shared. It is not to be consumed all on ourself. And so we must become a people and we must be a people. And I thank God that, that you are in so many ways a people. But I, I want to say, like I confess, as, as I walked through this this past week, and it's convicting. Like I needed to hear all this because our treasure should only be in Christ. And we should be a people, right, that live different from the world that's around us. And so we treasure generous living. Verse 18. And notice, notice he doesn't just focus on the money piece of this, right? He says, we treasure generous living. Verse 18, instruct them. Again, this word means command or give orders. He says, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share that, that thought of being ready to share and, and this thought of being generous, it's this picture, this word picture that would give us this kind of look at, at having things loosely in our hands that we're looking for opportunity. We're going to see a church maybe if we get that far today that was that kind of church that was looking for opportunity, uh, that, that, that was desiring to bless. And so he says, Listen, Tom, treasure talents, do good. Right? You can fill in the blank. How does God want you to use those things to be, to be good? You know, we talk about this, uh, uh, this, this uh, call to be a daily abiding, right? Everything happens out of a daily abiding relationship with Jesus Christ, regularly sharing that, that out of an overflow of what God's done in the morning, that we are sharing with him as we go out into the world, right? That we are those uh, kind of people, a daily abiding, regularly sharing, intentionally discipling, like our lives are, are being used for the kingdom of God and the glory of God, and that we might be a force for good where we live, work, and play what does it look like for us to do good? What does it look like for us to be in there? And number two, he says that we'd be rich in good works. He says, don't trust in riches, but be rich, abundant, uh, overflowing, right? In good works. And we think about that, see, because rich people like me, it's easier it's easier, honestly, to call DoorDash and send some food somewhere than it is for me to go and take some food somewhere. It's easier for me to do a lot of things, right? For, for some, we might see giving as a substitute for doing. And it's not, uh, it's not giving uh, is the ultimate and doing is the ultimate. It says somebody shared in between services. It's two sides of the same coin, right? As followers of Jesus Christ, we are generous in the way that we live. We are generous in the way that we serve. We're generous in, in how we use what God has given us for his glory. And, and so it's It's easier sometimes to give money instead of time, instead of effort, instead of energy. It's easier to pay a mover than to go help somebody move. It's easier uh, to to pay for groceries than bring somebody a meal. It's easier to do so many of those things. It's easier, like if you're married, it's easier to buy something for your wife than to spend time with your wife. We understand that this this nature that we have is to take the easy road. And if we have uh, those kind of things, it's easy for us to use those in that way. So we want to be generous and ready to share. Next blank, right? We want to prioritize the Lord, right? If I was uh, uh, maybe to reword that a little better, we just want to, we just want to put God first, right? We want to, we want him to be number one, right? We want to, we want to put him first. Uh, we were in our Wednesday night men's class and David Morgan brought up uh, Matthew 633 and he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And this conversation ensued. How do we keep God first? How do we seek him first? We want him to be first in everything, right? We read in, in the Old Testament, these, these first fruits and this, this, this picture of the tithe, this picture of setting aside the first of what God has blessed us with. Uh, and, and we see those kind of places. And some people say, man, when I look at the end, like the holes are in the bottom and everything's just pouring out and there's no room for any of that. If I'm going to do that, then everything's going to have to change. My whole life's going to have to be reordered around him. Because it's easy, right, for all of us to get caught up. H.B. Charles reminds readers in a book on worship that giving is a key part of worship, not a functional add-on to receive donations. And I want to just kind of remind you the motivation of this message is uh, our church is in a good financial position. We're not... Uh, coming this morning and saying, Hey, when I begin to talk about giving, uh, it, it's, it's, th- there's not this motivation that says, Hey, we're hurting and we need more. Like, we trust that God will provide all uh, that, that we need to do whatever He would desire that we would do for His glory. And we understand that He does that uh, through His people as, as they walk in obedience to Him. And, and what we understand of, about this this reality as we give uh, and as we come together in that kind of way, when, when we've got a group going to Honduras and you give uh, toward something like that or where you, where you bring uh, uh, some, some notebooks in or some of the things that they need, all of a sudden when you do that, you become uh, engaged in such a greater way on the trip. You have a part in, in what God is doing. You, you you are a part of those things that are happening and we share this life together. We engage in the mission of Christ. When you fill a baby bottle and you return it and, and, and you do those things, you are a part of the work that God is doing through the Smoky Mountain Pregnancy Care Center. You are walking in those places and it collectively unites us together. It fuels the mission of Christ. B- but listen, we, we understand th- that, it, I'm going to just read a, a couple quotes from Charles. He says that many times we have the give and the receive positions in worship mixed up. We come to church and we say, hey, I'm coming today. I hope I get something. I hope I come and receive something, I hope. But, but we come together, and corporately as the body of Christ, to worship him. We come together, and we sing, and we lift high his praises. We come to give him all of our worship, and, and we come, right? We, we gather in, in under the word of God, and we are encouraged, and we are sent out on mission for the glory of his name. Charles lists four reasons. I'm going to just go through them real quickly. Reasons we should be generous givers. Number one, God owns what I possess. Number two, he says, God multiplies what I give. Amen. Can I remind you that little is much when God's in it? And 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 I don't care how, like, like we're all rich, we kind of said that, but like I don't care how much much we have. There's, there's no amount of money that we can do that somehow impresses um, God. I, I just want to... I mean, it's not this, this kind of amount dynamic. We, we've been reading and, you know, we, we read in, in Mark, we saw the, the widow, right? that came to the widows, these, these like copper coins that are given and, and the rich people are coming and Jesus, hey, there's kind of this interesting moment where Jesus is watching the people put offerings in the treasury. And there's this kind of like moment where Jesus is watching and the rich people are probably like, Jesus is watching, come on. And they're, and they're, they're kind of maybe putting in this big amount and all that. And then all of a sudden, this, this lady comes with her two copper coins, right? And she puts those in and Jesus stops everything. Like I want you to picture this moment like Jesus stops everyone and, and everything. And he gets his disciples. He said, come here, boys. You've got to see this. Come here. That woman right there. That woman gave more than all of them. Right? The principles in Scripture always a portion, sometimes a sacrifice. We seek him first. Number three, right, God multiplies what I give. God owns what I possess. He multiplies what I give. God rewards what I invest. Matthew 6, right, we are to lay our treasures up in heaven. We're moth and thieves, right? We, we see all that, right? We, we, we understand uh, just that we, he rewards what we invest. And number four, God supplies what we need. Philippians 4, 19, he says, My God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus promise of Philippians 4 19 is for all who sacrifice for the work of God that, that our God is going to meet the needs that we have, that our sovereign God, uh, who owns it all, right, that that, that He is going to take care of us. 2 Corinthians 9 7, we read this. Each one must do as He has purposed in His heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know, when Sherry and I first got married, um, her mom, and she had shared in the you know, during some of this time, uh, her mom had given her just kind of a neat example. as She was growing up, um, and whenever they would, would uh, get a, a paycheck, whenever her, her husband would, would bring that paycheck home or they would have that money, before they did anything else, she would get on the table, and she would set aside kind of this first picture and honor God. And there was times that things were tied, and she would talk about how God provided. And so we got, we got married, and, and, like, she's wanting to, like, do that. I'm like. What are you, what are you, I mean, we, we you know, what, what are you doing? We don't have that. We can't do that. And, and it was just kind of this moment, right, where maybe I could be described by some of these givers. At first, I was just not doing anything. I'm like, you can give some of your money. And by the way, that's a terrible idea, like having different money and all that. But I'm just like, you know, hey, yeah. I, you know, we got to do all this. But, but, but we're like, hey, what are we doing? So the first thing it says here, right, um, not grudgingly. So the first kind of giver we don't want to be is a sad giver. <laughs> like, we just, you know, that was kind of where I was like, well, I guess we'll do it. But I'm not real happy about it. Um, the next thing right under compulsion right this obligation i've got to do it i've got to i mean i've I've got to do it i have to do it but i mean it's not good i'm not happy it's a mad giver right so we got a sad giver and then we got a mad giver but the kind of giver right that we want to be uh, that god uh, is encouraging us that what we're seeing here is a glad giver right god loves a cheerful giver and so we put god first uh, second thing, we plan for the future. We see, you know, just this, this principle from Scripture, right? We're looking ahead. We're not hoarding things up, but we're planning for the future, right? And we are pursuing life. 1 Timothy 6, verse 19, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. And here's what we want to not miss in all this today, right? When we experience the grace of God, when we experience his goodness and his mercy, Jesus becomes Our treasure. You know, we were thinking about this... this picture of being ready to share this, this generosity. I told you there's a church like that. We, we see Paul uh, writing to the Corinthian church. And uh, when he does, he's, he's encouraging the church at Corinth to, uh, to take up uh, an offering for the poor believers that are in Jerusalem and uh, these needy believers. And so he's encouraging them that way. And the way that he encourages them is by giving them an example of the believers that are in Macedonia. And so he gives them this example, verse uh, Chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, verse 1 through 4 already. He said, now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God. Now, I want you to understand these people have experienced God's grace. And we're going to see it evident in the way that they are posturing themselves. It says, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. That in a great deal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. Look at verse 4. Begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. They heard about this need. And they're a church that has experienced God's grace. Man, they're looking for opportunity. They're like, I want to be in on what God's doing there. I I want to be part of the work that he is doing. See, the grace of God has allowed them to to experience the glory of God. And when they do, they they treasure being part of the work of God and even in their poverty. See, that's what I learned about my aunt. I didn't know it at that time. But even in their poverty, right, when I messed up their car, I mean, they could have got money to fix that. They could have done all those things, right? But, But they taught me so much about grace. And in their poverty, they were rich. Because it wasn't the amount of things that they had. And this is what we see here, right? Even in their poverty, they were rich. And their money became a tool that displayed the grace of, of the greatest giver of all times in their life. He is magnified, right? We continue to magnify him. And and read about their gift today because their satisfaction and their joy was not in the things of this world, but their satisfaction and joy was in Him. And He is glorified as they posture themselves that way and participate in His work. And this morning, what I want you to hear most of all out of this, right, is that He is more valuable, He is majestic. And beautiful and glorious. And he is more valuable than all the treasures of this world. 2 Corinthians 8:9. We read one of the man, just the most amazing verses in scripture. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich rich what a savior right we read reading Philippians 2 that our great God the one who is sustainer and creator of all things that he would step out from the glories of heaven and that he would enter into the midst of the brokenness that he would take on flesh the scripture says and dwell among us That he would humble himself and be obedient unto death. Even the death of a cross. And for that reason, God has given him a name that is above every name. The name of Jesus. The name that every tongue will confess. And to the one that every knee will bow and confess Jesus is Lord. To the glory. Of God the Father. See, our generosity is not about abundance, but is about abundantly trusting all we have to our great God. What a Savior, what mercy, what grace that Jesus, the Son of God, born of a virgin, born without a sin nature, lived a perfect life and on the cross. What we would understand is that all of our sin, past, present, in future, right? Every bit of it was in the future at that time. That he who knew no sin, Second Corinthians five twenty one, right? He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. He who was rich, he became poor, so that we, in our poverty and in our desperate need, right? Jesus would say in the Sermon on the Mount, "Blessed are those who are poor in spirit." Those who understand their deep need. For Jesus, right? He took all of our sin and all of our shame. He who knew no sin, who had lived that perfect life, he became sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And this morning, if you've never trusted in Jesus for salvation, there's never been a time in your life where you've said, God, I surrender all that I am to you, Lord. Well, listen, we don't make him, Lord. We confess him as Lord. We bow to him as Lord. We surrender to him as Lord. The scripture says, whoever would call upon the name of the Lord, that he shall be saved. And if you're here this morning and you've been trusting in the things of this world, you've been trusting in, in what this world says will bring satisfaction and joy, and you've been trying to find that fulfilled, listen, they are, they are cisterns that will not hold water. But I want you to know that Jesus is life. And he offers, and he said, anyone who would drink of this water, right? Of, that he would never thirst again, right? That we could experience life and life abundant, life that would would, 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 would be beautiful and majestic and, and that in our lives, then everything that we have then would become tools that would allow the world to see that Jesus is our treasure, that he is more valuable than anything else in our life. And we experience What it really means to live. See, the thief comes not but to steal, kill, and to destroy. But Jesus has come that we might have life. Not just some way off time in the future, but that we could experience life now in him. I want to pray for us and we're going to worship. That's what we do in response to the greatest gift that we could ever imagine Uh, the scripture would say thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift that gift in Christ Jesus and as we pray maybe today you recognize that he's not first in your life maybe that you've never turned from sin and in repentance and trusted in him alone for salvation Uh, this morning I pray that that would be our posture that you would turn away from your sin and turn to Jesus that you would find grace and mercy. I pray for all the believers in this room that maybe we've gotten distracted from the pursuit of Christ and the pursuit of other things. and This morning, just the reality of his glory and his grace and that we could just fix our eyes on him, the author and perfecter of our faith who the Bible says for the joy that was set before him endured this cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the Father. And this this morning, I want you to know that the work is done, church, and we can rest in that work. Father, we pray as we worship you today, God, that that we would bring our best, Lord, our best singing. God, that we would lift our voices with everything, God, to sing and praise your great name. Lord, we come to give you praise this morning. And we do that collectively, Lord, to an audience of one. God, we pray that our our offering, Lord, would be pleasing to you, Lord, as we worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, we come and we pray, God, if if there's anyone here this morning that just needs to talk to you, whether it be from their seat, whether they want to come and kneel at this stage that we... Kind of treat it like an altar in these moments, and we bow our knees before you, and we pray, and we ask for your help. And I'm thankful this morning that through the shed blood of Christ, that we have access to the very throne room of heaven. Not because of our good, but because He is good. Because the work is done. Whatever our needs this morning, God, we bring them to you. Lord, help us to be changed by your grace this morning if there's someone that doesn't know you God I pray this morning they would leave their seat God that they would confess you as Lord Lord that they would believe and trust in you because you alone will bring satisfaction and joy unspeakable in Jesus name Amen will you stand in worship this morning